teach them wrong from right. We're gonna help them see the light and make an offer that they can't refuse. That the Jews just can't refuse. Confess. Don't be boring. Say yes. Say yes. Say yes. Don't be dull. A fact you're ignoring. It's better to lose your skull cap than your skull. Hello and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza and I am your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. And my movie today is one that is especially close to my heart. Uh, We are talking about the Mel Brooks comedy from 1981 called History of the World Part 1, one of the absolute funniest movies I know. In fact, uh, I'll get into the podcast. I have a very special history with this movie, how I used to require my friends to be able to quote this movie if they wanted to be friends with me. So (laughs) that's the kind of stuff we're talking about here. This This is a Mario special. And my guest for this one... Uh, he has been on the show before. He came on and did Blazing Saddles with me. He is my, again, people have like a carburetor guy or a car repair guy. This is my Mel Brooks guy. I'm bringing my Mel Brooks guy back on the show. You may remember him. He was on Survivor. He played in the NFL. Uh, big shot lawyer down in Tampa now. Welcome back to the show, Mr. Brad Culpepper. Uh, it's Headley. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, Mario, it's good to be back. I'm happy to talk about any Mel Brooks movie, but, uh, the two that you've involved me with, with Blazing Saddles and History of the World Part One are fantastic. Yeah. For people who don't know, I'll give a little quick backstory here that Brad and I met through the survivor community. I had written an article about him. He read it. He liked it. He invited me out to lunch when we were in Tampa and when I was out there, we basically just sat around and talked about Mel Brooks movies. So that's how this came. And he signed a two-podcast contract to appear twice on the show. And after today, you will fulfill your obligation. So thank you. Yeah, well, you, you paid top dollar, and so I, I feel obligated to, to do this. <laughs> so give us a little history about your – I mean, give us a little backstory about your history with, with uh, Mel Brooks here. I know we talked about this a little bit with Blazing Saddles. History of the World came seven years later. So what were, where were you when this movie came out? Why was this movie important to you? Well, I mean, I was still young. So I was born in 69. I just turned 50 in May. Happy, happy birthday to me, I reckon. Um, and uh, I guess Blazing Saddles came out in mid-70s, maybe 73 or 4 or something like that. And, and I clearly didn't see it when it came out in the theater. But but I, I must have first seen it maybe bleated out on TBS or something. And, uh, you know, maybe I saw it on – I got, you know, told my parents I was renting something else and, and you know, never-ending story and ended up renting Blazing Saddles and, and probably did the same with History of the World, um, I think, both were probably rated R, um, but I saw them at formative age, and, and they were hilarious, and I've made sure that my three children have both not only seen these movies and appreciate them, but can quote them uh, <laughs> profoundly. I, so whenever my daughter, who's still at home, both, 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 one, one, both sons are in college, one's at Syracuse, one's at Penn State, um, so when Honor brings her boyfriend or new boyfriend home, my daughter, I always make sure we watch uh, one of these two movies so they understand my sense of humor. And, and it seems like, you know, Mel Brooks, he here's the deal. He, he's for all comers. He's for the really smart. Um, anyone who gets offended at Mel Brooks, it's their own fault. 
And they're either, uh, I think they're probably in mid-range smartness. Like if you're so smart, you're going to realize it's parody and that he's as liberal as they come. If you're really stupid, you'll take it at face value and think it's funny because you're racist. Uh, and then if you're middle middle ground and, and you get offended by anything he does, then you're not smart enough to get it. And if you like dick jokes, you'll like the uh, Roman Empire scene with Josephus. Uh, yes, 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 yes. No. <laughs> or no, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, let, me, let me say this, too, about the two movies. I think my favorite of the two is Blazing Saddles. However, I would definitely say the more quotable movie is History of the World. Uh, and, and, and while I can quote both and my kids and I constantly text different stuff, I think History of the World probably has twice as many quotable lines. If, if it, the whole movie is just one big, giant, hilarious quote. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've sent NVTS uh, to my daughter or to my sons about something, uh, and, the, and they'll, they'll always get it. Wow. I, I had to even think about that one for a second. Okay. So, yeah, to clarify here, when I met Brad and we talked about movies, and he, he mentioned something, he said, all my kids know the words to the Spanish Inquisition song. And I'm like, my God, yep. that is the greatest parent I've ever met because I've wanted to do that as well, except my kids don't like Mel Brooks movies. I cannot get them to love to appreciate this stuff. I, I, I would have to divorce my children if that were the case. Uh, or they would, we wouldn't even understand each other. I mean, we'll always, we'll see somebody and I'll say, well, he is a eunuch. <laughs> How many eunuchs are you looking at, Brad? Well, I don't, I don't know. Unfortunately, more than I want. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I want to do my history here that this is my personal favorite Mel Brooks movie just because it's so funny. And the, the, like you said, the punchlines are coming so fast. The jokes per minute in this movie is astounding. And I know Young Frankenstein is, you know, more acclaimed and Blazing Saddles tries to make a bigger societal point. But History of the World, for me, as someone who wanted to be a comedy writer, this is like how you write comedy. It's just joke after joke after joke. It's gold. It's gold. Yeah. And like I said, there was – this is the movie. When I was in college, I wanted to be a comedy writer, and there was a couple movies I felt very strongly about. If you wanted to be friends with me, if we were going to be close, you had to be able to quote some movies. And this was number one on my list. Every one of my friends had to see History of the World. In fact, I remember at one point I tried to do a thing where I tried to capture all the great sound bites and sound clips as little wave files on my computer. So like you do, like hit a critical stop on your computer and it would scream a history of the world quote at you? Huh. Yeah. See, this is what I was doing in college while you were earning a scholarship and learning a degree. Yeah, I was just chewing gum and walking at the same time because I was also doing things with uh, Mel Brooks. <laughs> yeah. So history of the world is my big Mel Brooks movie. And then I had two other movies and I'm curious to get your thoughts on these two. These are... Not Mel Brooks movies, but the other two movies that I required people to know were. Hold on, you know what? You know what? Maybe I should try to guess. Yes, try to guess. Top Secret. Top Secret is not it, but that's a fantastic guess. Uh, 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 haven't we met before? Uh, well, that's, that's the one I was thinking of. So you, know, although, if you want to give me a hint. I will give you a hint. It's my favorite comedy movie of all time, and it's half British and half American. And it came out in the mid-80s. And, and not one of the Monty Pythons. Oh, Fish Called Wanda. Fish called it's, 
Fish Called Wanda. Good guess. Yes, that's the yeah, other for one. Sure, that 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 is a fantastic movie. Kevin Klein. Uh, I saw him on Broadway in the 70s. My parents took me to Pirates of Penzance, and he was the lead. Uh, Kevin Klein is one of the best funny men around. So, History of the World Part 1, A Fish Called Wanda, and then the third in the Mario trilogy is I specifically picked the most offensive movie I could think of because I wanted to make sure my friends could get through this. And this is a Zucker Brothers Abrams movie, and it's not Airplane. Can you think of one they did that was even more offensive than Airplane? Because uh, Airplane is fantastic. I mean, you got you got the O.J. Simpson one. Mm -hmm. um, Earlier. Uh, uh, police Squad. Um, God. More offensive. Because Airplane, so I made sure my kids saw Airplane. Uh, 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 what's your vector, Victor? Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I can't think. I will say most people are not aware that the Zucker Brothers had a movie before Airplane. Airplane was their second. I'm going straight up Kentucky Fried Movie. Ah, uh, I would not have guessed that. I know of that. You know what? Quite frankly, I need to see that again. I know of that movie, but I've not really dissected it. Uh, in fact, I can't even really remember it other than this certain... I know of that movie. It's, it's pretty <laughs> slapstick and crazy. It is a straight R-rated, hard R-rated comedy that verges into porn territory at times. It's one that you could never show on TV, and it was absolutely the type of movie I love to show people just because I wanted to see how they would react to this. Interesting. So there you go. Yeah, so there you go. So that's your homework. Go watch Kentucky Fried Movie, preferably not with your kids. No, yeah, it was, well, they're old enough for it, but I'll, I'll check it out, uh, <laughs> Sam's kid. Yes. So anyway, those are my three, but the, the History of the World Part 1, this is my movie, eminently quotable, and uh, do you have any backstory? How do we want to describe this movie to people who may have never seen it before? Well, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, <clears throat> there's nuggets of truth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, there was an Audit of Fay and there was a Torquemada. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a Moses. Uh, and there was a Caesar and Jesus. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it basically kind of hits the high points, uh, the high notes, as uh, Madame, uh, what's her name? Defarge. Yeah, Madame Defarge. Uh, she hits the high notes. Uh, so he hits the high notes um, with the French Revolution and, and, and all the rest. So. It's just a, a brief history of the world, a, a little bit like a uh, brief history of time or uh, what was his name? God, uh, Stephen Hawking. This movie is exactly like a Stephen Hawking novel. Yes, correct. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, to, an overview here is Mel Brooks was writing pretty high in the late 70s. He'd done Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein, High Anxiety, one we haven't even talked about. And, like, every one of his movies were hilarious and awesome. And the rumor is someone asked him one day, hey, Mel, what's your next movie? And he's like, I'm going to write the history of the world, which is just as a joke. And then he just went with it. He's like, okay, let's just do a romp through history, which, admittedly, he doesn't really cover all of history because we only have, have four scenes, basically, in the movie. But that's the gist of the movie. Well, and this is part one. We're still waiting on part two. However, this is part one. Did you know that's actually an inside joke, that title? I just read that the other day. I didn't know that. Okay, historically, there was a guy, I believe Sir Walter, Walter Raleigh. He got locked up in the Tower of London, and he started writing a history of the world. And he only finished one volume before they beheaded him. Ah. 
And so this is Mel Brooks's homage to Sir Walter Raleigh, starting this grand scale of the entire history of everything, but only doing one part. Of course, well, he followed in the, he had, he had Spaceballs, which was not dissimilar to Jews in space. Uh, uh, but we digress. Yeah, but that's the kind of smart joke that you're talking about. Like you said, Mel Brooks has smart jokes, he has dumb jokes, and then he has obscure references to Sir Walter Raleigh. <laughs> yes. Okay, so uh, yeah. So anyway, this was not the biggest Mel Brooks movie. I don't think it was a big hit. Critics don't like it. I've shown it to people. Really? Yeah, critics didn't love this one. They said it was a little too sophomoric. Well, no, I would, I, I can understand maybe at the time, but it hasn't aged well because I think this thing's aged fantastically. Yeah, it depends on who you ask. I mean, I, I grew up. I've I seen this movie. Yeah, I've shown this movie to people my age in their forties, and they're like, "That's not funny. I don't like it." I'm like, "How could you not like that?" But if you didn't grow up with it, perhaps maybe it's not your your type of deal. Oh, but it's so funny. I mean, there's nothing funnier than Jesus. Yes. What? What? I mean, it, it, it harkens into the old uh, meeting is adjourned. It is. No, you say that. <laughs> what? Meeting is adjourned. It is. No, you say that. Jesus. Yeah. What? I guess you have. We're losing people who don't know the movie. But those commentaries just back to back to me are just they're always funny. I mean, it's never not funny. And I I do it with my kids all the time. Because John will say Jesus. And I'll say what? He'll say what? I'll say yes. (laughs) Brad, you are the greatest father I've ever met. Thank you. Oh, terrible. <laughs> no, what I was going to say is that there's a certain type of comedy. Like, this is this Mel Brooks, what is it called? Like, the uh, the Borscht Belt? I forget what it was called. That that Catskills Jewish comedy in the 70s that was yeah, re- maybe. And so, if you're not used to that kind of, kind of schlocky humor and puns and wordplay, maybe that's why you wouldn't get into it. But, yeah, this, to me, is just about the funniest movie ever made. It is. I mean, like I said, you know, as far as movies for me and, and they're one one a you know I, I put blazing saddles number one but but history of the world probably has more funnier lines I, you know, that's not really a sentence but <laughs> it has i mean you're right every single you can't you can't turn your head because you're going to miss something i mean every everything with the, the empress and, and madeline khan is everything that comes out of her mouth is hilarious yeah. yeah, and just so many cameos, like every big name comedian at the time shows up in this movie. I know Richard Pryor was originally supposed to be in this movie. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, they wrote the role of Josephus for Richard Pryor. So the Gregory Hines, the Gregory Hines is going to be him. Yeah, I got it. And what happened is Richard Pryor had the accident where he freebased like two days before they were supposed to start taping, so they had to replace him. Hmm. So anyway, yeah, just a collection of cameos and one-liners and actual history. Like, I've actually learned history from this movie. And then I will, before we delve into the plot here, I just have to say, there's one movie critic from 1981, I forget her name, but she described this movie as a celebration of bad taste, which is about the most wonderful description I can think of it. It is a celebration, that's for sure. So, speaking of the celebration of bad taste, let's start with the opening scene in this movie, Brad, the cavemen. Yeah, no, it starts out like uh, 2001 Space Odyssey, kind of like with the uh, music, bum, bum, bum. And the, the two things I remember from that portion that stick out to me is, you know, first of all, when they digress into masturbation, obviously, as a, as a kid, you kind of like, what? And, and you're embarrassed. You're embarrassed when you see that. Um, but then the, 
the second part of that uh, that, I, that sticks out to me the most is the art critic. Uh, I think uh, my kids are, we're always saying that, uh, ah, here comes the art critic. Uh, when we see something that we don't necessarily understand and we feign pulling our zippers down and doing our critique. Wow. Again, the greatest household ever, the Culpeppers, where they're pissing on art. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, yeah, for people who have never seen this before, it starts with the cavemen, and there's a little joke here in that the official uh, genus, I believe, of cavemen would be Homo erectus. So Mel Brooks decided that all the cavemen should stand up from the primordial ooze, and they should all have erections, and their very first act as sentient beings is to masturbate. Yes. And that is the opening of the movie, a bunch of cavemen beating off until they pass out, and then a little subtitle says, Our Forefathers. Yeah, and, and, and it's downhill from there. <laughs> yes. That's the high point of the movie. Yeah. So half of the movie critics have just walked out of the theater in the first 30 seconds of the movie. Hopefully. So yeah, so we get that, the caveman, and we go to the Stone Age, where we're learning all about how man discovered fire and music and weapons and... Now, you, you mentioned the art critic. I will explain that for people. There's a scene where a caveman learns to draw on a wall, and it says, the first artist. And then another caveman comes and lowers his pants and pisses on the wall, and he is known as the first art critic, which, a.k.a. the Culpepper kids. Right. And and they, they do it with, with a voiceover. They've got this. It's, like, it's like Charlton Heston, isn't it? It's, like a... it's Orson Welles. Okay, Orson Welles. Right, right, right. So Orson, there's a, there's a, you know, it's, it's like uh, James Earl Jones. I mean, Orson Welles was the James Earl Jones at the time. Uh, but, you know, so it's a really profound voice and he's narrating what's happening. And he's like, uh, in the cave two million years ago, you know, the, the first artist uh, came to be and, and uh, they show him drawing something on the wall. And, uh, and of course, with the birth of the first artist came the first art critic. And then shows the guy go, hmm. And then, and then, you know, get, get <laughs> pulls the thing out and pees on it. Really funny. Yes. It's high, the highest of highbrow humor. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so what else in the, in the Stone Age? I'm just going to skim through this because this isn't really the, the main part of the movie. But we get the uh, humans discovering how to laugh, and they learn that because one of them gets eaten by a dinosaur, and they all find that funny. Right, and then they learn to sing. I remember they, they drop rocks on everybody's... Uh, foot and they realize that they make different notes and so they end up having a chorus by dropping feet on or, or stuck rocks on everybody's feet and then from here we move right into the old testament now we're already plugging along here in history we're already up to the old testament six minutes into the movie and this one's very short but with this you have moses and the tablets yes and 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 of course uh you know mel brooks being the loyal uh, jewish uh person that he is you know you have to bring moses in here and I think anybody, uh, I mean, even if you've never seen this movie, you had to have heard about, you know, this line where it's like, I bring to you these 15 drops of big tablet, 10, 10 commandments all to obey. Uh, I mean, that, that's as famous a line as there is in, in all of them. Yeah, no, totally agree. So we're already through the Old Testament, the Stone Age, our forefathers, and now we get to the meat of the movie. And this is like 45 minutes of the movie, the Roman Empire, because this is a very significant part in the history of the world, apparently. 
Yeah, yeah, uh, it is. And uh, this is when Mel Brooks comes in. And of course, he, he was Moses. Uh, I believe he was Moses, was he not? Yes, he was Moses. Right. And then uh, he's uh, Comicus uh, in, in this portion. And he's a stand-up philosopher, <laughs> which uh, he's out of work. And uh, the, he goes to the unemployment uh, office thing and they say, ah, uh, a bullshitter. And he's like, ah, yeah, I guess I'm bullshitter. And uh, just like anybody who has that employment, did you uh, did you bullshit last week? No. Did you try to bullshit? Yeah. One of the funnier, funnier lines in there. And that's when uh, you have uh, Josephus, who is Gregory Hines, comes in and he ends up uh, offending someone. And since he's a slave, he can't do that. And uh, they go through. Uh, it, it's funny. I, I remember they asked all the the people around if they can if they can guess what happens when you strike somebody. You're a Roman citizen, and there are a lot of unusual uh, guesses. Sometimes they say gas chamber, and then oh, that'll never catch on. Uh, anyway, <laughs> and send them to the lions. Let's not gloss over some of the jokes here. There's a ton of little background jokes and Roman jokes and like uh, language jokes in this movie. And one that Brad talked about earlier is NVTS. Now, if you look at old Roman art, they don't do the U, they do the V. So everything in this movie, when they're talking or spelling something out, they'll always put the V. And at one point, someone says, you're nuts, N-U-T-S. But in, in Rome, of course, that would be N-V-T-S. So that's what Brad was talking about earlier when he's quoting that. <laughs> nuts. Yes, although I will say also here that, like, I actually learned history from this movie that to this day I know what kind of columns there are in art, and it's because of this movie, because there's a column salesman, as they're all walking through the Roman plaza at the start. This guy's selling columns, and he's like, Ionic, Doric, Corinthian. And, like, to this day, that's how I remember that. No, that's, that's, that's smart. I, I learned more than Spanish Inquisition, but but uh, <laughs> I can definitely see how you can learn it from there. I think... uh Speaking of cameos, doesn't uh, Hugh Hefner make a cameo in there somewhere? Uh, it's during the Roman times, I believe. Yeah, Hugh Hefner is introducing the concept of a centerfold to all the hot Roman girls. B. Arthur from Golden Girls is the unemployment uh, agent who does not yes, believe Comicus. Yeah, and then we get some other people here. We get the guy selling uh, uh, plumbing. He's selling the aqueduct, which... Anybody who knows history knows the aqueduct was a significant part of ancient Rome. There's a salesman here selling pipes to people with the, uh, the <laughs> now Brad, what would be the selling point of pipes? Why would pipes be important to have in your house? To, to get rid of the shit. That's right. Yes, citizens, plumbing. It's the latest invention to hit Rome. It moves water from one place to another. It's astounding. It's amazing. Get on the bandwagon! Wipe the shit right out of your house! And then what else do we have here? We have a, there's a great uh, visual joke where it talks about an orgy. There's an orgy at the Temple of Eros. And there's a great line that a lot of people don't catch. It says, first serve, first come. Which is, right. which is a fantastic joke if I'm 12 years old trying to learn how comedy works. Right. That that one and and when when she says uh, somebody's her assistant's talking to her and somebody waits while the master baits. Yes, uh, I, I remember that line uh, somewhere in there. She goes, "Oh, what can I do to bait you or whatever?" But anyway, she she gets she uh, Madeline Kahn pulls in the all the Roman soldiers to see who's worthy of coming to the royal orgy. 
she she goes and she has them pull everything out and and uh, she names them all off and in a song saying no 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 yes and then she picks about three or four and the last one is a big yes okay that the masturbates joke i have to go back to that because you brought it up one of the greatest setups to a joke i've ever heard in a movie because it comes out in nowhere and it's just wordplay it's just mel brooks doing wordplay and yeah like brad said one of the her servants she comes up to this empress madeline khan and the servant says oh i want to be with you how must i bait you and she says, ah, ah, but the servant waits while the master baits. <laughs> yeah, I mean, anybody who has the balls to put that line in a movie, that's Mel Brooks for you right there. No, for sure. And then you've got uh, Dom DeLuise and that whole scene when, when he's uh, the stand-up philosopher. Okay, yeah, let's walk up to that. I want to walk up to that because I want to spend time on that. Okay. So we have Mel Brooks, the uh, stand-up philosopher. We have Josephus, the slave. They team up. They somehow get thrown in front of Mel of uh, Dom DeLuise, who is Emperor Caesar, who is the fattest, most disgusting slob you've ever seen in a movie, where he basically just eats and sits on things and asks his servant to wash them because they've been shoved up his butt. <laughs> and now, yeah, and now, and now we're at the Caesar scene. Now, and then Comicus landed a job at, at the palace he does he's doing fantastic uh until he starts in with the fat jokes yes uh and then sometimes i think before then is when he he asks for a small liar and and the, the roman soldiers bringing this really little guy who's going i didn't do it i didn't do it i didn't do it that is such a hacky joke that i love that <laughs> the muse is upon me Bring me a small liar. Small liar? Small liar? I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I wasn't even there. I was at a friend's house. The check is in the mail. Not that kind of liar. Correct. <laughs> no, I, I need a, a small liar. Okay, yeah, so we're in Caesar's Palace, which Caesar's Palace, of course, the Roman palace of the Emperor Caesar, in the movie played by the actual Caesar's the, Palace in Las Vegas. Caesar's Palace in Las yes, in Las Vegas. Yes. So Comicus is there and he's trying to impress the emperor and he's trying to impress the empress. And uh, he, like Brad said, he inadvertently goes into the fat jokes, which you do not make fat jokes around the emperor. And the emperor says, kill him. So Comicus is now sent sentenced to death and we end up in a fit. Uh, what is it? A gladiator fight between Joseph, uh, between Gregory Hines and Mel Brooks with spears. And instead of fighting each other, they decide to fight the guards and run. And that's when Josephus uh, goes and hides with the eunuchs in, in, uh, in, in uh, Madeline Kahn's uh, room with all the, the Vestal Virgins, because in order to guard the virgins, you all have to be eunuchs. Yeah, we'll get to this. This is the one of the best jokes in the movie. I want to set this up for people. But before we do, I have to talk about another pun that I, we missed earlier besides the, uh, the masturbates pun. This is okay. another one. This actually slips by people because I don't think a lot of people know this is a joke. Is where there's a, a Roman soldier named Marcus Vindictus, and he comes in and he's come back from the triumphant battlefields, and he's reporting who he killed, and he's telling everyone he's like, "I came back after defeat after defeating the Cretans at Sparta," and someone has to whisper in his ear, and he's like, "I'm sorry, the Spartans at Crete," <laughs> which. Cretans is such an old-timey, hacky insult word that a lot of people don't realize that's a pun, but I've always loved the Cretans at Sparta becoming the Spartans at Crete. It's funny. I haven't thought about that since I saw the movie a long time ago. Uh, you're right. 
Yeah, and those are these little things that Mel Brooks puts in there, just these language humor. Like, I know there's another one earlier with Madeline Kahn, who is just the, she's the empress nympho, and she's just a full-on horny slut, basically. She wants to have sex with everybody in the Empire. She's, she's, she's like Marilyn Von Stoop uh, uh, in Blazing Saddles. Yeah, exactly. That's a, Madeline Kahn plays a type. Right. But there's a great line here where, where they're trying to uh, uh, interview Josephus for one of her, of her, her uh, servants. And they're like, uh, she's like, uh, Empress, please hire this man. He's very helpful. And she says, Bob. Yes, Your Highness. Oh, Bob. Do I have any openings that this man might fit? Whoa! <laughs> Such a great read. I just love Madeline Kahn. Yeah, and then and then and, and, and they're always like townspeople around, and they're always like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I love the Romans get all the subtle sex jokes. Ooh. Right, right. There's always it's live in front of a studio audience. <laughs> okay, so here we are. There's all this uh, turmoil in the Roman palace, and uh, Josephus and Comicus are about to be killed, and they run into the palace of the Vestal Virgins, which are all the Empress's guards. And to guard a virgin, you must be a eunuch. You must have been snipped, your testicles cut off, so you're no longer a man. And Brad, why don't you walk people through this scene? I will. I will. But, you know, basically, a eunuch uh, uh, probably has their member, however, since there are no no pair below it, one is not aroused with uh, any any uh, strip dancers. So there are, I think, three fellows there. Uh, and of course, the, the the rumor would be that when you become a eunuch, you gain a lot of weight. Um, yeah, it's probably right with dogs. But anyway, so they have three people, and, and Gregory Hines is the third. And so the first one, the, the the Roman guards go in there and they bring out the the belly dancer who goes and dances seductively in front of the first and. He says he is a eunuch, and then she goes and and uh, goes crazy in front of uh, the next guy, and the, and the and instead of saying he is a eunuch, they go. Someone says he is dead, <laughs> <laughs> and then get in front of uh, uh, Gregory Hines' character, and uh, of course immediately they they all have feathers in front of themselves. I think they're wearing a kind of a loincloth with feathers, and. Uh, his immediately rises to the occasion and he has to head out because the gig is up. He's been found out. Uh, and so he has to hightail it out of there. Yeah, I have to say, see, I saw this movie when I was like 10 and I was not allowed to watch R-rated movies. My parents were very strict. So when I see a movie on TV and this movie was on TV all the time, they would always rerun it, but they'd cut out the real racy stuff. But they, they left in enough of this scene that it inspired me so much. The, the Caledonia, the most erotic dancer in Rome, giving the boner dance to a bunch of eunuchs to see if anything pops up. I could not tell you how formative that scene was to a little kid who loved comedy. For sure. I mean, you know, there's certain things, you know, you remember, you remember the, the, the beans part of Blazing Saddles. This is one of the, you know, one of the uh, cornerstone events of this movie that everyone remembers. Even to this day, someone could just say the line, Caledonia, do the highly erotic temple dance in praise of Eros. And I'm like, oh, God, I have to watch this scene because I love it so much. And, yeah, it's if you've never seen it before, it's Gregory Hines with a feather in front of him being tempted by the erotic dance. And his feather just slowly rises up as if it's an erection and such fantastic comedy. <laughs> it's simple, but it's funny. And it's always funny. Although there's another line here where. 
Mel Brooks, of course, not not shy of using racial epithets and racial humor because pretty much anything goes in a Mel Brooks movie. There's the line here where they, uh, Gregory Hines, black guy, his, his, his boner goes up, and they're like, the jig is up. And he's like, and gone. And he runs away. Ah. Which, that's a very old, old-timey old ethnic slur that you may not know, but Mel Brooks slipped it in there. For sure. No, I didn't, I didn't really think about that. Uh, <laughs> that sounds like Mel Brooks. That, that sounds like the guy who rode Blazing Saddles. Yes. Okay, so Comicus and company have escaped Caesar and escaped all the guards, and they're running, and they're basically trying to get out of Rome, and they have to uh, pretend that they're Roman citizens. They have to dress up as members of the Senate. And I got to say, Brad, this, this joke right here is not one of the best jokes in the movie, but I love it because there's no reason for it to be in here. When Mel Brooks starts making fun of Latin, Huh. I don't know that I, I don't know that I remember this. Okay. Yeah. There's a bunch of Roman citizens walking by Josephus and Comicus, and they're like quid pro quo, and they're just spouting off kind of like Roman words. And one of them says, uh, "In Tranconia, sick transit Gloria," and the other guy looks at him and goes, "I didn't know Gloria was sick." <laughs> That's funny. I mean, I, I need to watch it again to pick up all those those obscure little lines. Uh, but you're you're right. There. Are just, I mean, it just happens every second. There's there are things you miss. All I remember, I I, I remember them having the Senate meeting and and you know maybe we uh, raise and uh, give money to the poor and they all get together. Fuck the poor. <laughs> yes. Although they do repeat the uh, young Frankenstein walk this way gag. Do you remember that? Yes, they do. They do. That's good, 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 good scene on that. Yeah, Mel Brooks rips off his own movie because in Young Frankenstein, there's a scene where Marty Feldman says, walk this way, and he does this little weird walk, and everyone just imitates him. They do that exact same joke here in History of the World, right here in the Roman Senate. So look out for that. It's Mel Brooks playing homage to himself. I, I do that, and I, Rex, I drove Rex back up to Syracuse this weekend, and we had a walk this way moment at some point. Uh, we we didn't know where something was said, so I said, well, we'll just walk this way. And so we both start, immediately started kind of dragging our legs. <laughs> it was kind of funny. I love that. I want to do that with my kids. They will not bow down to the altar of Mel Brooks like your children have. Eventually they will. Eventually. As they, they get older. And more mature. Well, or less. One of the two. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, there's no difference. Okay, so here is a history joke that I love so much in this scene where they're running through the Roman square, and they meet Oedipus. Oedipus is walking through the town and he's blind and he's hitting his head on things because he can't see. Anybody who knows the play Oedipus knows Oedipus slept with his mother and then out of shame plucked out his eyes. Yeah. Right. Okay. So there's a scene where Oedipus sees Josephus walking by and he's like, hey, Josephus. And he gives him a high five. He's like, and Josephus says, hey, motherfucker. Which is a wonderful line because Oedipus literally is a motherfucker. For anybody who never caught that joke before. Mel Brooks was the first person to use a motherfucker joke about Oedipus. Yeah, no, that's perfect. That's pretty funny. I I don't think I realized that. I'm expanding your world. But that's why this is a movie that keeps on giving. I mean, how many movies can you watch 15, 20 times and always see something new? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then you have a, a Henny Youngman one-liner here where the Romans are looking for the, the, the bad guys. They run into Henny Youngman, a very famous one-liner comedian, and they're like, we're looking for a pack of Trojans. And Henny Youngman, who plays a drugstore owner, is like, damn it, I just ran out. <laughs> yes. The other, one, the other one I remember, 
was when the streets are crawling with Romans, and this is the typical Mel Brooks, and they'd look out the window, and the, the streets were Romans were all on the streets crawling. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, just one-liner after one-liner, goofy historical reference after historical reference, Madeline Kahn making dick jokes, just wonderful stuff. And then they finally escape from Rome, and they uh, get on a chariot run by this horse named Miracle, and they escape. And, uh... and they, they escape. They escape with one of the virgins too. I remember that real, real cute girl. Oh, that's that's right. I forgot they got a virgin. So Josephus is going to score here. Yes, um, and they and and the horse's name is Miracle. Uh, and and it's like we need a miracle, and and it just so happens the horse comes by whose name is Miracle, and so they're saved by a miracle. And then they, of course they're they're out racing the uh, Romans who are chasing them from behind, and and uh, they run into a, a marijuana field. And uh, Gregory Hines gets a good idea, so he says, pull over, and he goes and he clips uh, <laughs> the marijuana uh, leaves and makes the biggest joint I think uh, anyone's ever seen in movies, uh, would make Cheech and Chong proud, <laughs> smokes the joint as they're leaving, and the smoke behind confuses and stops the Romans, and they end up, uh, they don't really give a fuck, they're, they're like a... The fall of the Roman Empire. Oh, really? I don't care. They start dancing together or, or, or something, like holding arm, arm in arm. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that's how they get away, is by smoking the big joint. Okay, there's a great cameo in this, and I'm only going to bring it up because you're a sports guy. Now, you, you watch a lot of sports movies, I would assume, right? Uh, sure. I mean, I know of them. I don't know. I, I probably watch more more obscure stuff than sports stuff, but I know them. Okay, so there's one scene here where the Roman center, the Roman soldiers are coming after Josephus, and they get overwhelmed by the smoke of marijuana smoke, and they're both laying there on the ground, and one of them says, do you care if it falls? And he's like, what, the Roman Empire? And the other guy says, fuck it. Do you know who the guy who says fuck it is? No. Yeah, I sense you don't, but I'm going to give you some trivia here because you'll appreciate this. There's a guy who's in every great sports movie that has ever been made. He's in Major League, he's in Hoosiers, and he's in Rudy. His name is Chelsea Ross. He plays the old pitcher in Major League, Eddie Harris. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. I, I, yeah, I know the character. I, I can see his face, but I don't know his name. Yeah, okay. He's just one of those that guys that I love because he always shows up in movies, but he's the one that says fuck it. So a, another notch on his resume. He's kind of like Lyle from Blazing Saddles. Yes, he's just like that. <laughs> okay, so so Comicus and Josephus have escaped the Roman Empire, and it's a happy ending. Oh, they also they also run into uh, they 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 <laughs> there's a, a famous scene where where they come up to uh, uh, Moses is parting the sea, and he's actually getting arrested or getting robbed, and he's holding up his arms, and the sea parts, and they go take their, their uh, miracle and they escape through the water and you've come to find that Moses is there getting jacked I was going to say when I was a kid that was my favorite joke in the movie out of all the great jokes in this movie that's my favorite where they come up to the water they need to cross it Moses is there Moses raises his arms and parts the sea and they say oh what a wonderful man and two seconds later you find out it's because Moses was being mugged with a crossbow I think what I, I think the first thing I got out of that is like, well, wait a minute, that's a different Moses than I saw earlier in the in the movie. Oh, so you found a continuity error in the movie? I did. 
Because it was not Mel Brooks when he dismissed us, was he not? It couldn't have been because he was comic. No, no, wait, it was Mel Brooks because after he gets mugged by the crossbow, he's like, you son of a bitch, I'm old man, can't even live anymore. And it's clearly Mel Brooks doing his Jewish voice. So I think it is Mel Brooks. Is it? Because I, I, my memory is that it was someone else. But maybe you're right. I mean, I've seen this movie like 500 times, so I would, I would, I would, yeah, well, I, would I'll defer to you. I would place money. I'd probably know that. Yeah, you I, definitely, if, if there's a conflict between you or I, I'd defer to you on this because I've, I've probably only seen it probably 10 times, which is, which is a lot for me. <laughs> Let the Wookiee win, as they say in Star Wars. Right. All right, so we so they've escaped the Roman Empire. Now we get to the scene that Brad had uh, inferred or had referred to earlier, the Last Supper scene, and I will just set it up. I will set it up, and then I'll let you do all the punchlines that they go to a restaurant and they try to get jobs so they can hide anonymously from the Roman soldiers, and they happen to be waiters at the Last Supper where Jesus is talking to, to his disciples. And take it away, Brad Culpepper. Oh, I don't know all the jokes, but it's really one of the funniest parts of any movie I've ever seen. And basically, Mel Brooks is serving <laughs> Jesus and the 12 disciples, uh, and, and the, the special is uh, mulled wine. Uh, the, the, Jesus is all talking, this could be our last supper together. And and uh, then he goes, but one of you has already uh, betrayed me this night. And and the, all the, the the apostles say no, and then Mel Brooks comes in, Judas, and he <laughs> Judas jumps up and scared, and he goes, Hey, would you like some more wine? And uh, I mean, it's so funny. No, no, leaves the load, leaves the load. He goes, All right, all right, Jesus. And then Jesus looks at Mel Brooks and says, Yes. And he goes, And Mel Brooks goes, What? And he goes, What? And he goes, What? And, goes, what? and, and Mel Brooks gets frustrated and says, Jesus. And he's like, Yes. <laughs> he's like, What? <laughs> And he goes back and forth, and he says, uh, nothing. And then, and then uh, at the end, uh, Leonardo da Vinci comes in and says, all right, we need a picture. And, and so they uh, all gather, well, this isn't going to work, because I got the backside of one of you. He goes, all on the other side, everybody up, everybody on the other side. And so Mel Brooks is in the uh, famous Leonardo da Vinci painting of The Last Supper uh, as the waiter. And we also learn in this scene that Mel Brooks, the waiter, asked Jesus the most important question during the Last Supper. Is this all together or is it separate checks? Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> that is the end of the Roman Empire. It ends with a double blasphemy scene of Moses being held up and then Mel Brooks ruining the Last Supper. So Mel Brooks is taking no prisoners at this point. And speaking of taking no prisoners, I think that leads us right into the Spanish Inquisition. It does. Funny, the first time I, I watched this movie, I think this was probably my least favorite part. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know that I understood it as well, but as I've go, gotten matured and older, it's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, the whole, you know, it's basically uh, somewhat of a musical uh, portion. He sings the whole time. You know, Mel Brooks is, is Torquemada, who was, uh, you know, in the uh, 1500 or 1400s, um, was kind of in charge uh, of the, the Catholic Church and, and, and the auto de fe, which was basically, you know, rounding up all the Jews and torturing them. I mean, if you weren't, if you weren't, if you were practicing Jewish, because they basically converted everybody to Catholicism, but if you were still practicing uh, as a Jew clandestine, or your neighbor said you were, then they basically tortured you and you tell, you told them that you were a Jew 
uh, and then they essentially killed you, mm-hmm. which is really something that happened. Uh, there was a real Spanish Inquisition, and it was horrific. And, they, you know, they, they would tie weights from your ankles and drop you, you know, hang you, you know, 40 feet in the air and then drop you at intervals and burn you and, and do all kinds of stuff. So anyway, it's, it's a, a, a musical uh, with Mel Brooks as, as the, the lead Catholic uh, torturing the Jews uh, until they bring in the nuns. <laughs> yeah okay so if you guys have never seen this scene before it's hard to prepare for it that like brad said the spanish inquisition was a real thing it's basically i mean not that dissimilar to the holocaust in the 20th century Correct. where jews were just tortured and killed for their amusement and mel brooks decides i'm gonna make a jaunty musical out of this <laughs> and like I said, like he's very well respected now for making musicals on Broadway and stuff. He did the producers. This was really, I think, his first attempt at doing that, of taking something super offensive and doing a full-blown you know, stage production out of it. Now, he started in the producers back in the 60s. They had a springtime for Hitler. Right. But, man, the, the production value on this one, the Spanish Inquisition song, is astounding. And, uh, yeah, like I said, if... <laughs> You got to see it at least once in your lifetime just to see what kind of balls Mel Brooks had that he basically turned the Holocaust into a song and dance number. Oughted to say, oughted to say, it's what you oughtn't to do, but you do anyway. And then uh, says, I, I just, I'm just remembering lines, uh, uh, Tokamata, don't beg him for forgiveness. Tokamata, uh, don't ask him to save you. Uh, let's face it, you can't talk him out of anything. Like, <laughs> My my daughter always says, oh, you can't talk to Torquemada or anything. I love your daughter. She's awesome. She's making Torquemada references. Here's here, And here's her gig, too. She just scored a, a 1490 on her SAT. That's really high for those that don't know SAT scores. That's probably 500, 500 points higher than me. But anyway, so she's high, high intellect and totally gets all these jokes. <laughs> So I, I did a good job with them, but but and you have uh, who's the little Jewish comedian? He's one of the the Jews that they that they have torturing. Yeah, Jackie Mason. Jackie Mason, that's it. Uh, you know, he, he's one of the ones. And then, and then at the end of of the homage, they they bring in the nuns, and the nuns are basically um, swimmers, and they it harkens back to the the twenties and thirties, back when they used to have these huge Cecil B. DeMille type productions with all the, the, the choreographed swimmers with overhead shots in the pool, um, they basically, you know, drowned the, the Jewish people, but they're doing them with, with nuns who are all bathe, wearing bathing caps and, and all in unison uh, doing a beautiful, it really is a, a choreographed swimming uh, <laughs> scene, like, like they do in the Olympics, you know, with, with the, I, don't, I don't even know what you call it, but they've got about 50 or 100 uh, uh, nuns that are that are doing the swim scene. Yeah, and I have to reiterate here, like Mel Brooks is Jewish in real life, so he can kind of get away with this stuff. He can kind of take the sting and take the power out of some of these images in history by just mocking the shit out of them. And that's kind of his rationale here. Like they have full Jewish guys on like roulette wheels and Jewish guys on slot machines and like people being thrown into Iron Maidens and Torquemada's dancing around and tap dancing and... And I think they do a walk this way reference here too. They throw it back here again. Yeah, I think I think I remember that too. Yeah. So, so anyway, this is about 
10, 15 minutes of the movie. It's right in the middle, the Spanish Inquisition song that everybody should see at least once just because I would like to see your jaw drop at the audacity. The Inquisition. Let's begin. The Inquisition. Look out, Sam. We have a mission to convert the Jews. And again, uh, Brad's daughter's favorite line, do not ask him for forgiveness. Let's face it, you can't torque him out of anything, which is one of the most Mel Brooks puns I can think I've ever heard before. <laughs> That's terrible. Uh, I, it's funny, I was reading, uh, don't ask me why, but I, sometimes I'll get into a Michener book, and I was reading The Source, and I just finished it, matter of fact. It's about a thousand pages. And um, to preface the, the book, it, it basically goes back. It's, it's, it was written in the 60s, and it's, it's about uh, excavating a, a tell, which is basically, you know, a, a sand pile over in Israel. And it goes back to the Stone Age, essentially. And then it'll he does little snippets of stories every couple hundred, maybe thousand years. Anyway, he stops on, on uh, the auto de fe on one of the things. Somebody comes from Spain uh over to this area in in the middle east and uh anyway they talk about torquemada and they talk about the auto de fe and and uh it's historical fiction and so while it it happened and it's real as far as the source and and the Michener book the characters are fiction however he starts talking about the, the torture and i actually uh took about five pictures from five different pages and texted them to my kids so they could read about the, the Spanish Inquisition. And uh, they took the time to read that. It was pretty interesting. Uh, you know, anyway, it all started from Mel Brooks. <laughs> now, now, Brad, please tell me in your daughter's senior yearbook, she's going to put up a Spanish Inquisition quote. She may, or she may do something in the French Revolution, because there are a lot of lines in the French Revolution. Okay, well, we're going to get to that in a second. What's, so what's your favorite part of the movie? I will break it down for people. There's really three major parts of this movie. There's the Roman Empire, there's the Spanish Inquisition, and there's the French Revolution. Which one would be your favorite of the three? Gosh. Um, you know, we, we've been quoting so many lines, uh-huh. um, but I think we still haven't even got to the most quotable part of the movie. <laughs> um. So, so, so I would think because, I mean, there's snippets of everyone. I mean, I love the Jesus thing. It's just so that whole line, you know, with Jesus and what, um, but I, I got to say with the French revolution and, and I love my peasants and, and every, the people are revolting. <laughs> you said it. <laughs> yeah, they stink on ice. Uh, uh, yeah, think on ice. I mean, there's so many, you know, uh, gangbang on the queen, uh, <laughs> death to King Louis. I, I mean, I think the French Revolution has, has got to be my favorite part. What do you mean? You, what do you mean you don't do it? I just did it, and I want to do it again. I am right there with you. The French Revolution is my favorite part. Yeah, no, and 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 I can't tell you how many times I've told told my kids that they look like the piss boy. <laughs> And they follow up on cue that I look like a bucket of shit. <laughs> I am proclaiming this right now. Brad Culpepper has the greatest house ever. My wife would my wife would beg to differ because she thinks it's terrific that we go around saying that, and she doesn't really understand. But uh, but you you would you'd be a welcome addition to this house. <laughs> so you heard it here first. Brad just invited me over to his house. It's on record now. Yes. <laughs> 
Okay, so we're going to go into the final part of the movie, the French Revolution, which I would consider the high point of this movie. And it's really, uh, we're in 1789, and the thing, things are dire in France. The King Louis has all the money, and he doesn't care about his peasants, and everyone is starving. And this is the story of Madame Defarge, played by the wonderful Cloris Leachman, who is just this old, creepy woman trying to start a revolution. Doesn't she have a mole that moves on her face? Yes, her mole moves, and when she taps it, it dings like a little uh, service bell. I haven't even thought about that mole. Uh, it's kind of like Old Boy's Hump in Young Frankenstein. Doesn't that, doesn't that move around? Yeah, it's the same deal. He's just doing <laughs> the same shtick. So anyway, <laughs> Madame Defarge, again, the creepiest, grossest woman ever, to come much like if you've seen Kingpin, the landlady that Woody Harrelson sleeps with. That's Madame Defarge. Yeah. She has gathered the scum of Paris, and she literally refers to them as the scum, which I always like. No, 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 dumb scum. And she starts laying down the law, why we need a revolution. She says, we have no rights, we have no say, we have no dignity. And this is the line that I used to have on my computer. I would play all the time a wave file. She goes, we are so poor, we don't even have a language, just a stupid accent. Right. I do remember that. Yeah. And then one of the peasants pops up. She's like, she's right. We all talk like Maurice Chevalier. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, after the, uh, uh, she, she, they repeat after me. And, uh, you know, they, they, she coughs and they all cough. But then, the, the, then she, I just remember the end. She says, death to King Louis. And then they all say, death to King Louis. And then after that, they go, let's end this meeting on a high note. And then they all get some high E or whatever it is. They all end on a, I can't sing a high note, but, but that's how they end the meeting. Okay. I was waiting for you to try to sing that. No. Let's end this meeting on a high note. <laughs> And then, and then, and then it moves into the, the, the castle, and where Mel Brooks has two positions, uh, one of both the king and one of the piss boy, which it harkens to the. the uh, uh, is that tale of two cities? No, it's uh, the man with the iron mask. Man with okay, man with the iron mask. Okay. Yeah. So Mel Brooks plays a double, the king and his double. Yes, he plays the piss boy and the king. Although, we are glossing over two of the greatest characters in this movie, Brad. We forgot to mention the Count de Monet and his sidekick, Bernays. I, I, actually, I, actually, I actually have a, a, an assistant at my law firm, and her name is Bernice. And I always am telling her, don't get saucy with me, Bernice. And she has no idea what I'm talking about. I cannot believe there's that kind of comedy floating around out there and somebody doesn't get the joke. That kills me, Brad. As a comedian, that kills me. No, I know. And, and it's, I can't even explain it because how, how do you tell him? Look, there's a character, a Harvey Corman character, and there's somebody named Bernays, and he always, you know, and they're, 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 they may be gay or not or whatever. Um, it's funny, little side note. So Rex and I went to dinner, and we were talking about Star Wars and the canon and talking about, 
if we had to rank the Star Wars, where we could, obviously we put Empire Strikes Back is is number one. And then I said, Rex, you know what you need to tell people that number two in the Star Wars canon and both you need to say your favorite actor in all of the Star Wars, all you know, even including the Solo and the other one. I go, Harvey Corman needs to be your favorite Star Wars character. And he's like, what are you talking about? I go, God, he, I, he goes, Demonet? I go, yeah, Hedley Lamar is in Star Wars. And he's like, no, he's not. I'm like, you have not seen the Star Wars Christmas special. <laughs> have, have you seen the Star Wars Christmas special? I have. It's terrible. It's on YouTube. And do not watch it. I'm warning people. <laughs> it is unbelievable bad. It is so, it's, it's the room bad. <laughs> what a story, Mark. No, no, it is. Un- and so I, Rex had never seen it. So we watched. So so we were sitting there waiting on dinner. It took forever. So I kind of showed it to him with, with Harvey Corman playing like three different roles within that special. And and he's like, oh, my God, he is in there. I'm like, he, sh- he now, this now needs to be your number two best <laughs> Star Wars behind Empire Strikes Back. Tell anybody that you like the Christmas special better. Because it's got Han Solo, it's got everybody. It's unbelievable that they made that that television show. It was they have like uh, um, uh, um, Ario Speedwagon in it. Oh my God, it is so bad. But anyway, I digress. But Harvey Corman is in that Star Wars special, and Harvey Corman is one of the classic greatest actors in all of Mel Brooks history. For people who have never seen this, Harvey Corman plays the King's number two man. His name is Count, the Count de Monet. De Monet. Yeah, that's the thing. If you've been through French class, if you've ever studied French, in French one, if you see de Monet, someone will always say de Monet. And so Mel Brooks decides to play with that. And so the Count de Monet, who is one of the most, you know, aristocratic you know, stuck up guys around. Every time he, people see him, they say, count the money, count the money. And he gets so infuriated that nobody can, that it can pronounce his name. And it's one of the greatest running jokes in this movie. And that's the one thing that when Brad and I were setting up this podcast, all I said is, be sure to count Demonet. And he said, count the money. So like, we know immediately what we're talking about. And the count has this foppish sidekick named Bernays, who at one point the count says, don't get saucy with me, Bernays. And again, I don't like explaining jokes to people, but if you know there is a sauce called Bernays sauce, the joke becomes much funnier. Uh, but it, it, it's a classic, and, and, and that, which harkens back, the whole joke with Demonet is like his name is Hedley Lamar instead of Hedy Lamar, who's an actress uh, in Blazing Saddles, and he's constantly getting called Hedy, and he's always correcting her, it's Hedley, it's Hedley. And just like this one, it's Demonet, it's Demonet. <laughs> one scene in particular when Demonet and uh, Bernays arrive at the royal palace, and like there's all these peasants there, and just as a you know a, a uh, commentary on how the nobility treated the peasants, they literally roll the red carpet right over the peasants so the the nobility can walk <laughs> over them. Walk. Yeah, and as they're walking them, you hear all these peasants screaming for help, except they're all screaming, "Count the money, count the money!" <laughs> and so <laughs> Demonet is not only stomping on them and just pissing on them he's also correcting them because they have his name wrong it's really funny really funny okay so here's the garden scene that you were talking about earlier where mel brooks the king louis is playing chess he's playing a game of human chess with human pieces and there happens to be a piss boy a garçon de piss in the garden who happens to look just like him and this will become important later that we have two variants of mel brooks walking around 
Right. And so uh, one of the famous lines is, uh, so it may, it may be de Monet, it may be Harvey Corman who says that he's the first one to recognize that uh, the king looks like the piss boy. <laughs> so they're going to replace him to protect him. And he goes, hey, you look like the piss boy. And, and, and Mel Brooks as the king says, well, you look like a bucket of shit. <laughs> Yes, of course, of course. That's it. Your Majesty, you look like the piss boy. And you look like a bucket of shit. That is fantastic. It really is. I mean, one of the best lines, and I think one of his, the other line that, that you really remember, especially as a kid, is when, as the king, Mel Brooks, he, he basically can sleep with anybody he wants to, and he goes and he grabs, you know, he walks around and grabs butts and grabs boobs. Uh, definitely not a Me Too movement type uh, movie at this point. Um, but he always then pans to the camera and breaks the third wall and says, it's good to be the king. And uh, so anyway, if any, any aficionado of this movie will, will always have something happen and kind of look at somebody and say, it's good to be the king. And uh, then he tries to, so basically he, he jails one of, one of the beautiful women of the, of the court. His father is in jail and uh, she pleads with him to let him out of jail. And uh, he's, uh, he says, well, you know, we can, if you want to do it, then I'll let him out of jail. And she goes, oh, I can't, I'm a virgin. And he goes, what do you mean? And she goes, oh, I don't do it. And he goes, what do you mean you don't do it? He goes, I just did it and I want to do it again. And then, and then my, other, my other favorite line is, is when, uh, and then my kids will say this all the time too, is, is I love my peasants, pull. And they they play uh, they're, they're they're doing a skeet shooting with with the peasants. <laughs> ah, little to the left. Yeah, please tell me you do not have skeet shooting of peasants off your dock. No, I, I don't. But uh, we constantly say we love our peasants. Pull. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you have a human-sized chessboard in your back garden somewhere? No, we do not. However, uh, but it'd be great to be able to, to gang bang on the queen. Yeah. I mean, really, that. what else is there in life other than that? Right. <laughs> yeah, for people who don't know, there's a scene in this movie, so many famous scenes in this French Revolution scene where King Louis has a life-size chessboard where people walk around and act out the moves. And at one point, he, he utters executive privilege where he's the king. He gets to do, what, what, five moves to one or seven moves to one? I forget. And right. basically every move is pawn jumps queen. And so this little pawn will jump on top of the queen and start humping her. And then he says, bishops jump queen. And then knights jump queen. And then he basically orders everybody in his royal garden to jump the queen. And he screams, gang bang. And it is one of the, again, perhaps not a Me Too movement scene, but it is very iconic. Yeah, it's funny when you said hump, that made me remember the humper guy uh, when he's trying to convince the young uh, lady that he'll let the father out of prison if she if she humps. So he says, hump or die, hump or die, hump or die, hump or die, hump or die. Now either you do it or your father dies. It's either hump or death. Hump or dink? Not hump or dink. Hump or death. Yeah, and that uh, that woman, the, the the woman that he says that to, her name is uh, Pamela Stevenson, very famous Australian comedian, and she came over to the U.S. to try to make it, and she was in the History of the World Part One, and then she was a cast member on Saturday Night Live for a year, a couple of years later. I didn't know that. Yeah, she never she was cute. 
she's cute. She's adorable. Although, right. okay, I got to say, before we get to the end of the movie here, I got to say one line here. Just stupid puns in this movie and stupid puns and Mario Lanza go together like peanut butter and jelly. Where the piss boy comes over to the Count Demonet and he says, wee oui, wee, oui, sir. And Count says, oh, yes, a lot of it. <laughs> there you go. That's Mel Brooks humor right there. Wee oui, wee oui becomes a piss joke. Uh, it's, it's beautiful and, and very uh, highbrow, for, if you're asking me. Yeah. So Mel Brooks, King Louis, just the biggest asshole. He's basically rapey, date rapey around every single woman in his garden. And here come the peasants to storm the castle and kill him. So Count Demonet has switched the king out with the lowly piss boy. They put a mustache on him. And here come all the peasants to storm the palace and kill the piss boy. And it looks like a very horrible ending that Mel Brooks is captured and he's going to be beheaded. And we get one final scene at the guillotine. We do, and it, it kind of goes, uh, kind of breaks the third wall again, like uh, uh, Blazing Saddles did when they <laughs> broke into Buddy's uh, set. Uh, they they need a miracle. Uh, there's there's nothing uh, that's going to save them, but they're going to get because they're going to get beheaded, and in comes Miracle from the Roman days. Uh, and Gregory Hines is in there too, right? And the Virgin. We got a Virgin plus Gregory. Hines. Okay, you got a Virgin, Gregory Hines, and and. Uh, and and miracle the horse that comes in and saves mel brooks and and i think the the girl too he's not by himself is he i, I can't remember uh, but miracle comes and saves the days from the roman times into the uh, uh uh french revolution time yes so the eras have crossed over the heroes from rome have arrived in france and they have saved the piss boy and they all ride off and what's interesting is that actually the king never dies there's no comeuppance for king louis he's perfectly happy at the end of the movie that's right i will say right before we wrap it up there's one joke here i love at the end of the movie and it's just a throwaway line and this is because anybody who has ever taken French in high school or middle school knows that students always call it France. They don't say France. They always pronounce it wrong. It's a very American pronunciation to say France. Huh. And so I will say, when Madame Lafarge comes up to arrest King Louis, she says, I arrest you in the name of the people of France. And someone actually has to correct her. And they say France. And she's like, France. So the leader of the French Revolution even forgets how to pronounce France. I should point that out. That, that's funny. I, I didn't pick that one up, but I would, like, like, like I said earlier, you can watch this movie and always pull something out. And so that is the end of the movie, History of the World Part 1. We've gone through four distinct eras of history, and apparently that's it. The world is okay now. Although, Brad, there are previews at the end of this movie that everyone tends to remember. Right. You, the, the, the one uh, that I remember vividly more than anything was the Jews in space. Um, and actually, uh, remind me of the other ones, too, because I was thinking, God, these all could be pretty funny. <laughs> See, that's the thing. A lot of people think there was a history of the world part two. There never was. Mel Brooks never intended to do it. But there are previews here at the end that say coming soon in history of the world part two. And the ones they show are Hitler on ice. Which is the dancing? Oh, Hitler on ice. Yeah, dancing Hitler. Which is not, not that's not dissimilar to you know uh, the producers. Oh, exactly. And then we have a Viking funeral, which is kind of forgettable. Yeah. People forget that one. And then you have Jews in space, which is all about these Jews flying around in a little star of David fighting off Goyim, which is. It's a, <laughs> it's a, but it's got a fantastic theme song. 
And I'll give you a little trivia that they reuse that theme song later in Robin Hood Men in Tights. It's the same song. Ah, I didn't know that. It's a bit of trivia. Which and, and Robin Hood Men in Tights is pretty funny. That's that's another very good Mel Brooks. I think that was obviously more recent. Although that was like Dave Chappelle's breakout, wasn't it? It was. That was the first movie he was in. But that's probably for another day. For another day. No, and you, like I said, you have done two of your staff picks commitments. You have fulfilled your Columbia House obligation. You are no longer obligated to appear on staff picks anymore. But again, we've gone through two of my favorite uh, Mel Brooks movies, and I was really glad you were here to uh, do this, even though I swear we skipped over like 70% of the jokes, but I think we gave people the gist of it. Well, we'd, we'd have to stay here for three days in order to get all the jokes in all those movies because they, they are so rapid. They are. And, and each one, you know, trumps the next and, and one's not more funny than the next. But it's like there's only so much where our human mind can absorb at one time. Yeah, exactly. Now, I have to end this with a story here. I'm just going to this is more for my listeners than for you, Brad. But I work in Tampa. I actually go out there and fly out there like five times a year now. So I drive around and I'm where near where Brad lives and Brad has these billboards advertising his law firm Culpepper Curland and they're all over the place but what's funny is there's a competitor Brad I'm sure you're aware of your competitor there's another guy who has just as many billboards around Tampa and his name is Dennis Hernandez and underneath it it says Harvard educated are you aware of him yeah I know who he is he doesn't he doesn't have as many as I have yeah he's, he's got like a Harvard uh, law degree and a Duke undergrad, something like that, or one or the other. His billboard, his billboard was taken uh, probably 20 years ago. So I just wanted to say that there's pressure now that people are asking me to get Dennis Hernandez, your competitor, on the show to do Young Frankenstein. Yeah, well, good luck with that because there's not a single lawyer in town that understands Mel Brooks like I do. Thank you. That's what I wanted to hear. I want you, I want you to crush Dennis Hernandez like the cockroach that he is. For sure. Don't get soft on me, Bernays. All right. Thank you again for appearing on the show. Anything else you want to say before you sign off here? Nah, we're good to go. All right. Just for my listeners, just please go appreciate Mel Brooks like we do. This is such a formative guy, formative comedy writer for people who grew up watching comedy and love comedy. And I could not say enough about how much I love history of the world. So, again, thank you, Brad, for stopping by. My name is Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks. If you need to reach me, you can reach me at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. And until the next time, I'll be out there searching for more movies that deserve more love, and I'll try to find somebody interesting to come on and talk about them. I'll talk to you guys later. You look like the piss boy. You look like a bucket of shit. <laughs> Bye. The Inquisition, what a show. The Inquisition, here we go. We know you're wishing that we go. Yes. What? 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 Yes. Jesus. What? Yes. What? You, you said what? What?